what we are trained in societally, innocently, is your judgment's wrong and your anger is wrong. And we learn that from the world around us, from witnessing, from the stories people tell us, from how we see other people relate to anger and all that stuff. And so then where we get caught is fuck this guy, but also fuck me for fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. I'm mad at that person, but I shouldn't be. I should turn the other cheek because Adam and Evan were talking about that or because I read it in a book or because of the power of now. And so before we can let go of something, we have to let ourselves hold it. My name is Evan Meyer, and you're listening to the Undomesticate podcast a show where we explore how to deprogram domestication, restore the health of our body, mind, and spirit, and return to our sovereign roots. Welcome to episode six of the Undomesticate podcast with Adam Quiney. I'm really excited to share this interview with Adam because he has been one of the most important mentors, teachers, and people in my life in the last five years. Adam was the founder of the first men's group that I ever joined, and he actually introduced me to my teacher, John Wineland, who I spent the better part of five years studying masculine embodiment and sexual polarity with. I also spent two years studying with Adam in his program called The Forge. He runs that with his wife, Bay, who's also an incredible coach and leader. The Forge is a leadership and coaching development program that I highly, highly recommend. It gave me the chops on how to coach and lead people powerfully. And in a world saturated with wannabe coaches, Adam is the real deal. He is by far the most brilliant coach and literally one of the most brilliant people I've ever met and is the embodiment of self-expression, of integrity, and not to mention, he's absolutely hilarious. In this episode, we explore Adam's journey from lawyer to transformational coach, how to hold our most challenging emotions with reverence, why it's important to live in partnership with your fear in order to create a bigger life, how Adam is currently working with his own fear, why he's traveling to Costa Rica every six to eight weeks to drink ayahuasca, the trouble with integration when it comes to plant medicine, how to work with our judgments to attain true freedom, how working with something Adam calls our innate essence helps us in our personal evolution, and so much more. And hey, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This makes a massive difference in making sure we can curate the best guests and deliver the best show possible. All right, let's dive into episode six of the Undomesticate podcast with Adam Quiney. All right, here we go. Yeah. Welcome back to the Undomesticate podcast. I am here with Adam Quiney. I just want to start this episode by saying Adam has been one of the, really been like a fundamental piece of my journey. Honestly, like a pillar. I can, you kind of guided me and I've told this story before, but I want to share on this podcast for anyone that hasn't heard it before. Um, I think it was back in 2017 or so I had recently come back from Peru and I moved to Victoria and I read David data's way, the superior man, someone, my roommate gave it to me. I was in like this really just in a relationship with a very, very feminine woman, a lot of energy, a lot of confusion on my end and just a lack of understanding. And our roommate who was actually another woman was like, I tried to get my little brother to read this book and he just won't read it. So you can have it. And it was way the superior man. And I literally, like, it just blew my mind. I was like, what are all these concepts? Because I had never heard of, heard of that kind of work and all the polarity stuff. And I, I read it, paid, like, cover to cover in a few days. And one of the chapters, I don't remember which one, but it's like, go find a men group, find men that challenge you. And so I went on to meetup.com and I found this men's group in Victoria. And I went to it. I think you guys were asking for like a $5 donation. It was at in Tin Pan Alley at some yoga studio, right? You, right. And, yeah, yeah. you and uh, uh, Wes. And 
And I went there and you guys were, had us doing all this embodiment stuff. And it was like really like sacred and all these things. And, uh, and I think I just went to a couple cause you were just doing it once a month. And that was my first kind of initiation into men's work. And I was like, wow, this stuff is pretty cool. Remember you had to stand in a circle and brag and we we're doing breathing <laughs> exercises and like all this kind of stuff. And I remember talking to you about it after, and you had just finished John's John Wineland's EMLT. I think it was his first year running that program right. actually. Yeah. yeah. Back. So you did like the 2016 iteration, uh, that group kind of dissolved that men's group. And then I went to John cause I was like, well, I'm going to go to the source cause I want more of this. And <clears throat> that was in the spring of 2018. And I pretty much never looked back. I've <laughs> since then until yeah. a few months ago, I worked with John like for that amount of time, two dozen retreats, many, many years of programs. I was on his assistant teams, program lead team, everything. But really that whole experience was generated from meeting you. And then of course I spent a couple of years in the forge uh, with you. So saying all that, that's like a big introduction of how we're connected, but I just wanted to start by sending some like really deep and profound gratitude for you having an impact on me. You probably could have never anticipated uh not only getting me involved in, in kind of this really transformational work that ended up being the work that i do today and then also everything else that i do want to talk about you know your work with the forge developing leadership and coaching and all that kind of stuff uh, adam you've just been someone that's been so incremental and such a, a mentor and a brother and a friend and someone that i've really aspired to be more like honestly if i could mm -hmm. if i could put it frankly. So just, uh, I appreciate you taking the time today to, to come here and just chat with me and, and be with me and, and for holding me for the last six years of my life. Thanks, man. That's, um, it's an honor to hear all that and to receive it. And then it's cool to hear the background of like what was going on for you prior to, cause we were, when you showed up, we were kind of asking ourselves, like, is this the thing we're going to keep doing? Like, do we feel inspired in this direction? And like you said, it dissolved, but it's super cool because all of these things that we can very easily dismiss, there's, we don't realize the impact that they can have. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So beginning with that, maybe people listening to this or watching this, you're like, well, I don't even know who the hell this guy is anyway, even though he obviously <laughs> is important to Evan. So why don't you just spend a few minutes kind of sharing a little bit about what you do and then how you got to the work that you do in the world. Uh, you're someone who's deeply prolific. You've written books. You know, you have this awesome podcast. You run this amazing program. You, you work on retreat, everything like that. So why don't you just give people a little bit of an introduction into your world? And yeah. In your yeah, words. sure. So initially, like my previous careers, I was a software developer <clears throat> for a while and then a uh, life coach, a lawyer, very, very briefly. But I'd already determined my path, which was the one I'm currently on, which is uh, coaching. And specifically, I would distinguish it as transformational coaching as opposed to a lot of other stuff. And so what I'm what I devote my life to is the experience of transformation. And that would mean um, supporting people, starting with myself and the work I do with my own coach to discover how we've learned to become and have that distinct from who we've who we actually are. And then to step more deeply across the threshold of our fear into an expression that's more aligned with the person that we've always been. 
that's putting like a really fine point on it. You know, I'm really summarizing a lot of that work, but so that's what I do and everything I'm up to as a coach, working with my clients in the forage, working to support other people to do that. And in the work that we do with ayahuasca to support people along that path. Yeah. Beautiful. And it's, it's really interesting because for me, I had the experience of, well, the idea of coaching, like kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Same. Right. And I was like, oh, like, you know, and I even remember it was, it was really funny. I remember just this woman who I associated with all of a sudden one day just proclaimed like, I'm a coach now and started. And like, I was really, I even left a comment, like, like a, something just mean. And, you know, oh. like who, who the hell do you think you are? Just, you can't just become a coach when you decide to become a coach. Uh, and then of course I ended up becoming a coach, which is how these things right. work. You know what I mean? Uh, but it really wasn't until I came across your work and just the way that you held coaching as something that is just like a really sacred journey, you know, and I had been someone that had worked and, and we can speak about this cause I know you're working a lot. Like you just mentioned with ayahuasca, I had come from the plant medicine world, a lot of ceremony, like very sacred, you know, it's very traditional Shipibo living in Peru in the, in the lower Amazon basin. Uh, and, and loved that. Like I loved the ceremony. I loved the ritual. I loved how these sacred containers and these places and the work that could happen there. And that did not, I did not see coaching in that light until I kind of came across your work and I saw how you held coaching in such reverence and leadership in such reverence and our humanity. And it wasn't, you weren't like amassing some big Instagram following and, and traveling the world, living in a van, telling everyone you're a life coach. You know what I mean? You're, you're yes. someone that was so clearly committed to leaving an impact on people and then just getting around you and, and, and feeling how you're, how much work you had done and how deep you had gone to really look at yourself honestly, right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and leave a lot of space for your own humanity and what that made available for other people when you got around them and held them in that sacred way, almost like, like getting on a, a coaching call. This might sound silly to some people, but really is like, it's like a little ceremony. It's like a little yes. sacred container. Um, yeah. so yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Like, well, what your thoughts are on that? Because what I hear from you again and again and again is this piece around reverence, you know, and in and, and, and coaching container and the power of that and, and this piece around, um, there was another word that I had. It was something, yeah, just maybe just about like how that, that sacred mm -hmm. aspect and, and how maybe we could even talk about how that kind of dovetails into the work that you're doing now with ayahuasca as well. Sure. Yeah. So the starting point for all of this is me coming into this work without any reverence, totally irreverent, largely with arrogance, um, largely who I was or who I'd learned to become was um, like cynical and probably profane and like it's all a bunch of fucking bullshit doesn't matter. All that matters is like the tangible thing in front of me. And, and that would be like what I can make in terms of money, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So it's fitting then that I would have such an experience of reverence these days, because that's the path of, you know, that's the fire I've had to walk through is to, to walk all that back. And, um, what I find is that we are so quick to dismiss what's showing up for ourselves. 
time and time and time again, like our fear shows up and, and our immediate go-to conversation with our fear is usually, I don't need to feel afraid. I know it's just a bunch of bullshit. I know I don't need to worry about this. And, and what that does is it diminishes, it, it holds our fear without any reverence. And so then when people hear like, oh yeah, hold yourself with reverence in their mind, they create this separation where they're like, well, hold my highest and best self with reverence. Definitely. Totally. I'm with you, Adam. But that fear, that's not my highest and best self. I'm going to set that aside. And actually that would be like witnessing something God or Yahweh or, or Allah or whatever people want to call it. But witnessing something that that being does and then being like that I'll hold with reverence, but not that other stuff that they did. That's nonsense. What are you doing? God, you dummy. And so I guess like these days, what I'm really finding is relating to people as the godliness each of us are and then supporting people to come back to holding themselves that way. And as they start to do that, they can learn so much more from themselves. And that's how we evolve. That's how we transform. Yeah, it's so beautiful. In fact, it's interesting you mentioned that because I was on the call with with someone I'm working with yesterday and they just expressed gratitude for for me just holding them in the in the light that they are and just like mm-hmm. how no one has really actually made that given them that opportunity or, or even just given them that gift of just totally holding them over here of just seeing like their essence the light that they are and what that's made available for them with almost it's very effortless on my end you know what yes. i mean i'm just i'm just seeing the greatness in this person and, and they naturally evolve into that or rise into that or start to see it themselves you know it's just like that mirroring um and and we were kind of joking because he's he's trying to work that into his life and how he holds other people especially his partner right yeah. like how can we get stuck into these ways of how we relate to people or how we relate to things in our lives. And we see them in a certain light. And then that thing can only be that way. It can only be that way when we see it that way. And so I know I'm kind of going tangential, but I just wanted to bring that a little bit into the conversation because I feel like this thing around, you say the godliness or like the spirit and everything, but how much time we spend being discerning in a negative sense of like, well, this is godliness and this isn't, you know, yep. and, and, and something, um, something that we don't want to be with, like our fear, for example, which is something that I know you work with and write a lot about. Um, and one thing that you wrote the other day that I, I really loved was learning to trust your fear is the first step in learning how to take action in partnership with it. Mm-hmm. So true, isn't it? Want me to elaborate on that? Yeah. Can you riff on that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, well, again, what we what we strive for innocently, because it's all innocent and we could get into more into that. But like innocently, we strive to live a life where we we play a big game, but we don't have any fear. That's kind of what our ego is going for, because then I can feel good about myself and my impact and all that. But I don't have to feel this awkward feeling that shows up every time someone like me, for example, goes to a social situation. Every time I go to anything social, I feel awkward and nervous at first. And. And, but that will never work because the only way to live our life that way is to either shrink our life down so that we're playing a very small game that's predictable and manageable and that, and then there's not going to be any fear around it or to completely numb myself so that I don't feel any of what I feel. And down that second path, then I can kind of play a big game, but I've numbed myself. So I'm not going to be able to be present to the impact that I'm having. And it's going to be like, yeah, yeah, I founded Uber or Microsoft or whatever, but I just couldn't care less. I don't have the ability to care because I've trained myself not to. And what sets us free is learning to recognize fear is a, it's like a, 
it's almost like an old friend on our journey. And anytime we're playing a bigger game than the one we're currently playing, fear is going to show up by definition, because that new game is going to take us outside of what's comfortable and familiar. And so what I find sets people free is to start to like, as a starting point, let their fear just be. Don't have to change it. Don't have to, to erase it. But I also don't have to react to it. I can just let it be there. I'm doing this thing and I'm scared and I don't have to change anything about that. And then from there, we can start to we can start to take steps with it and not make it so meaningful. What's how does that relate to your life right now? Like, what's the biggest fear that you're wrestling with personally? Yeah, there's a there's a few. Um, so. It's kind of interesting because the work I do with my own coach and my teachers and, and with ayahuasca and all of this stuff, it more and more I'm moving away. Well, let me step back to preface this. Like who I learned to become in my life was a guy that was super reliable to work really hard, to grind, to make everything happen, to do what had to be done no matter what, et cetera, et cetera, which allowed me to create a bunch of results. But then life felt like a grind. Not surprisingly, because I grind, I grinded to, to create life. And as time's gone on, well, I should say one more thing first. That allowed me to create a coaching practice and to like sort of push the boat away from the dock and, and to get some wind behind my sails. But as time's gone on, it's all becoming less interesting. I'm not so interested in the experience of grinding. I'm not so interested in the experience of knowing everything because it's kind of tiring and there's not a lot of excitement or thrill down that path. And so what's being opened up in front of me is a life led much more from like spirit and trust and being open and of the moment. And that's really, really scary. And it's scary because I don't know how things will go. And I'm kind of releasing knowing how things will go. And therefore, I can't predict and I can't get out in front of them. And I can't sort of say, like, I know I'll be OK 10 years from now because here's every single step I'm going to take along the along the way. And so it's kind of funny because these days I don't know where the next client's coming from. I don't do a lot of hustling. People add me on Facebook with like things on their Facebook profile that are like, join the two comma club and become a billionaire. And I'm like, that's just not the game I've been playing at all, not even remotely. But every time they do, a little bit of fear pops up and says, yeah, but should you? Maybe you should be doing that. Maybe. And so, you know, that fear is just constantly there as I learn to deepen into this journey and live life more, more freely. I love that. What's the, you know, I hear the, the piece around the fear and the, I think it's so hard to get out of the incessant need or feeling like we need to be doing something. Yeah. Especially as an entrepreneur or someone running a business. If I do more stuff, I'll get more results, right? And yeah. and that just leads us, yeah, joining the two comma clubs or hiring, you know, trying to build whatever. I, I even got sucked into this this year, like trying to build a funnel yeah. and like trying to <laughs> hire a coach that's going to get me the X amount of leads each week. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is not yes. at all what I want to be doing. Yeah. And I'm curious, like what's been the, what's been the upside of of kind of releasing this need to know or this need to control or this 10-year plan or or having the two comma club what's been available for you letting that go or setting that down like a bunch so there's been way more ease there's been way more financial abundance like it's it's really interesting once i i got really clear that ayahuasca and and that particular plant medicine was like 
absolutely a part of my path. Like alongside my devotion to transformational coaching, so too was ayahuasca. And so, and I was also very clear that this one particular place I was working with the medicine was like specific for me. I was to go and do the work there. I've worked with it other other places too, and that's very important. But, and this place was very expensive to go. And so I was spending, you know, $10,000 every couple of months to go. And then my wife, Bay started to do this work too. And so then we're spending $20,000 every couple of months. Ludicrous from, you know, the standard perspective. And from my fear, ludicrous, moron, <laughs> what are you doing? There's no guarantee behind any of this. And the fascinating thing is like my fear would still show up. But if I look at our bank account throughout that whole past year, we work there now, so it's a bit different. But like throughout that whole past year, the bank account stayed the same. It didn't actually drop in spite of all of that. And so like, it's sort of like, there's a tremendous amount of financial abundance that's shown up. And then like the cool stuff beyond that, like yesterday at 2 PM, I was like, well, I'm done my day. I'm going to go play pickleball. And so like, there's just all of that freedom that we kind of, ironically, we get into being entrepreneurs because we're like, it's going to be so awesome. I'll get to go do whatever I want in my day. And then we immediately tell ourselves why we can't do whatever we want during our day. All of that promise starts to become realized for me as well. That's so beautiful. Yeah. What I really want to touch on this thing because you brought it up a couple of times already, yeah. this piece around plant medicine and ayahuasca and just maybe share a little bit about how you got to end up, you're at Rhythmia, right? That's where you're, That's right. yeah. you're working. So how you ended up working at Rhythmia, because I remember at one point it felt like you were going down there every six weeks or so, which yeah. is a huge, not only investment of money, of course, and flights and traveling internationally from Canada, Costa Rica is not super close. No. And, um, but not only that, but like energetically, you also have clients and you're, you're yeah. running a business and it's not like you're, well, yeah, just, just explain that whole experience, how that's been for you. And what was it that really solidified your knowing? And like, this is, has to be a part of my life at this level of intensity as well. Not just like once a year, but right. all the time. And I believe you're bringing clients down there as well. Right. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Sure. And it starts, there's a little prefacing, which is when I first got into coaching, I did like a small course that didn't cost very much money and I could do it like kind of over an intensive period of about 20 days. It was all fine and it fit within the kind of like the lawyer life and way of being that I had. But it was all dissatisfying and I was looking for like, I'm hoping that there's some gold at the end of this tunnel because so far most coaching feels pretty superficial and diluted and, and like crappy, like a I'm trying to believe that there's something here, but I don't feel like there actually is. And I found this program. I met this woman. She talked to me about the program and it made zero sense intellectually, zero negative sense financially. And yet viscerally, there was something I was like, I can tell I have to do this. And it required a lot of support. She supported me a bunch, not pushing me, just listening to me, getting me and helping me for me to say yes to that. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. And so now we can fast forward the first time I went to do ayahuasca was with a friend of mine who I trained coaches with. And he was like, Hey, I'm going to this place in Costa Rica. Turned out to be Rhythmia. Do you want to come? And I was like, sure. I had no idea what I was getting into. And during that week long ceremony, well, there's four ceremonies over the course of that week. The, it, it was super clear to me sitting there. Like I got some really sharp messages and we don't always, but I got some really sharp ones, especially as the week kind of came towards its end. One of them was like, this work with this plant medicine, Adam, it's the same work you do with your clients. 
It's the exact same work. It's a different modality, but you're supporting people to come to the light the same way. Second was your life is going to include this work. You're going to be doing more and more and more of this work and supporting people to come into this work, just like you do with coaching. And third, specifically here at Rhythmia is a place where you're going to be bringing more of your art. That was just like the, what I got. And so I came home and I was a loony about all that. I was super zealous, crazy, light of God shining out of my eyes, as many of us are when we have a powerful experience with plant medicine or otherwise. Yeah. You know, be careful about talking to people that have just gone to Landmark for the first time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so I came back and I terrified everyone because I was <laughs> zealous, you know, especially my wife. She wanted nothing to do with this. And, but I'd, I'd met someone who hired me as a client down there. And so we made this agreement. I said, I'll pay for you to come back with me as part of our agreement. You'll come, we'll sit in ceremony again. And COVID happened. We had to wait a couple of years and we went back and I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to be cool about this. I've sobered up. I'm not going to be a loon about this. You know, that was, that was just me being drunk, celestially drunk. And I drank the medicine and sure enough, the same messages came back. But now I was a little more grounded. I could hold them a little bit more. They didn't scare me quite the same way that they did before. A good fear. I was excited about the possibility and then scared that I wouldn't be able to make it happen. That flavor of fear. And so, and it was like the same image was there, but it was in a bit better resolution. I could kind of see it a little better. And so I came home and I shared with my wife, like, look, I got this vision again. And I also got the same vision that you're going to join me in this. And I want you to know it's okay to me if that never comes to fruition during this lifetime. Like there's no push, there's no urgency. I'm not going to make you do anything. I love you no matter what you choose, but I just want to share it with you all the same. And who I was being about that had her say, you know what? I think I might be ready to try that out. And so I was like, great. And I immediately booked us to go back in a month because you got to strike while the iron's hot. And so what happened was that message was very similar to that message I got when I first considered coaching in that first ever like thing that really made the difference for me was intellectually, this makes no sense. Like I've got a full practice. I'm busy. I'm up to a whole bunch of stuff in the world. Financially, this makes no sense at all. It makes even less sense now that Bay is also coming down with me. And yet, and yet I feel this truth. And so what happened was I, one, I stayed getting supported, right? I worked with my coach and I'd go and drink the medicine, which would also support me. And then I started to like, okay, well, how could I create this? Well, if I invite three people to come with me, then I get my trip free. Okay. I can do that. I can make it so that my coaching practice, I only work three weeks of the month and then I'll have a, a week free every month. And so I just started to like shift things in service of what I ultimately wanted to create, which was the opportunity to be working down there one week every month. And so that that's how we got to here. There's a lot more nuance to it, of course, but that gives you the rough, broad brush strokes. Yeah. And one of the things that you've, you mentioned, and I've heard you mention a few times in the past is how coaching, the type of coaching that you do really dovetails with mm -hmm. the medicine work, particularly with ayahuasca. And I'd love to hear what, what you see there and how those two kind of support each other or work together. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things about ayahuasca that people often tout is that it's like 10 years of therapy in one week. And for those of us that have worked with that medicine, we know what they mean by that. We're like, hell yeah, that, that is a, it's an intense experience, but it's also a very healing experience. But of course, the more you're healing in any given period of time, the more intense it's going to be because you got to bring it up to heal it. The, the trouble is that 
also means that it's like 10 years of integration that you got to do. And in my experience, plant medicine as it currently stands doesn't generally support this very well. And that's for a whole variety of reasons, none of which we need to really make wrong or even get into to much extent. But what tends to happen is people have this incredible, potent transformational experience, and then they're left in the belief, there's no way I'm ever going to go back. That was just too powerful. My insight is too clear. Things are never going to be any different. And of course, we come home to the world in the shape that we left it. And, and that world energetically has a shape that matched our old shape and it's going to, we're going to bump into it a bunch. We're going to kind of nudge up against it. And as we do so, we're going to experience what you could think of as like energetic erosion. We're going to slowly push each other back. And because we don't have any ongoing support outside of that experience we had, we're kind of left to do our best to understand what's going on and to choose back into the way of being that we created during that powerful week. And what I think is so amazing about coaching is that it's, week after week, there's like a consistency to it. Sometimes too much people um, kind of share. Usually there's a different reason they're feeling that way. But every week people get to show up and be like, I'm feeling like super depressed and like I've missed the mark or I'm feeling amazing and like there's nothing for me to do or whatever it happens to be. And I think coaching really fills in the gaps in a beautiful way there. And then the flip side is that in coaching, sometimes part of what makes it challenging is you've got a coach on the other side of the conversation who's a human. And and if you've got a good coach, they're doing their very best to be like clean and shiny and, and not have any of their stuff in the space with you. But they're still a human at the best of times. So that's going to happen now and then. And, and often a lot of coaches aren't really engaged in their work. So that's going to make it even more challenging. And second, no matter how good your coach is, there's still like a degree of vulnerability that we constantly have to step over the threshold of when we're in a coaching conversation. And there's just some stuff for which it's not impossible, but it'll just take a lot of time before we get that courage or even can find it to share it with the coach. And what ayahuasca can really do is it's like a, it's a almost a lowercase trauma, lowercase T trauma seeking missile. It'll find where the wound is and it'll bring it to the surface for us each and every single time. And that can be really beautiful because it can kind of like sometimes when you're in a coaching conversation with your coach and you keep banging into this smooth surface, you can't seem to find the crack. Ayahuasca is going to find it for you and it'll bring it up. And so when you bring those two things together, they just work so potently in, in partnership with one another. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I started doing similar similar things with my clients actually this year and, mm -hmm. and had, had two of them sit in ceremony with me and they're still continuing to get supported by me. And it's yeah. been so... We've just been able to move some stuff, kind of rearrange some internal landscapes for them that yeah. has given them some perspective on things that we had been working at looking at for months and they were able to kind of cover in a couple of days and, and just a massive amount of just openness, like a huge amount yeah. of openness. And now, now they're getting supported and now we can really look at it and continue to kind of lay the foundation for their, yes. their new life. Right. And yeah. Having spent, you know, I spent a, a few years back and forth in Peru and was really dis, just like, disgusted is a pretty strong word, but I was pretty done with ayahuasca after I had left mm -hmm. Peru the second time because what I saw was the tendency for people to treat plant medicine just like they treat any other vice yes. really just yeah. keep coming back to it. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I just noticed like 
wow, what's really changing for you guys? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? You know, just that whole thing. We don't have to go too deep in that, but just chasing the the states over traits kind of thing. And uh, and, yeah. and I took a couple of years off because I had to do my own work and my own integration. And I and she had taken me for, Ayahuasca that is, had taken me for a pretty heavy ride a few times where I'm just like, okay, I want off the ride for a while now. I'm going to, you know, I'm going <laughs> to go sit, sit far away from this because uh, I need to hang up the phone. I got the message and uh, yeah. I need to take on my work. And, and it wasn't until last year that I really started to kind of delve into that world and, and had come into more of a right relationship with the medicine. And I think it's really interesting. One parallel I see with coaching is when you get in a coaching relationship or in any type of relationship, you have to build intimacy. You have to build trust. You have to build like a, a relationship. And, and I, I often times preface ceremony for people that haven't sat with medicine before any medicine. So you're doing the same thing. Yeah. You're building totally. a relationship. You're totally building a relationship. And, and this, 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 whether you call it an entity or a spirit or whatever it is, it has a way of working with you and it'll meet you, you know, where you're at, but it does take time to, to build trust. And, and I've gotten to this place in my own work where there's just such a deep level of trust that I'm, I'm able to navigate those realms in a very, um, with a lot more precision than I used to. A lot of people think they, they step into a ceremony and they're like, well, just whatever happens, happens. And it's like, yeah, yeah. That, that, that has its place. But there's also a point that you get to where you can really start to fine tune and be like, okay, yes. like, yeah, I've, I've been in that dark dimension 30 times with you. I don't need to go there again. I know what's there. You know what I mean? Let's go somewhere else. And, and I think that you start to build that relationship and a bit more autonomy, um, which is just, yeah, like I said, it really, it really mirrors coaching. And I think the two come together so well of, of just having like the, like you said, the work really begins after like ceremonies, a, a, a small, very intense experience. And then the work really begins after that, this piece around. Yeah. If I got 10 years of therapy, how am I going to integrate 10 years of therapy? Now? Right. You know, that's yeah, a lot yeah. of integration. I got, I got work to do. There's a lot in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> totally. The, 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 the Yahe, I'm a student of the Yahe, which is the Colombian tradition of the medicine. Right. And they say 50% of the work is in the ceremony, but then 50% of the work is outside of it. And that holds so true. And the, the work outside of the ceremony is often much harder because we're not, we're not supported with the medicine. And we don't have like the connection to the divine in the same – the medicine is very beautiful and she takes us to the, divin, the divine realm. We don't have all that. And so it can be like that 50%, that second 50% can feel very lonely. And very isolated and very like hard because we're like, oh, I'm not feeling the way I did on the medicine. I'm doing something wrong. No, it's the same stuff coming up to be healed. It's just it's harder to see in this moment. Do you find it a challenge going and, and sitting that often, like monthly or every six weeks to continually be in the process of integrating? Just because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's such a high level of <laughs> engagement. Yeah. I, I yes. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I, what I find, well, what I find fascinating is like because of how I described myself, you know, like who I learned to become from my fears, cynical. I'll pick stuff apart. Here's why there's no miracle, and so like I end up usually disillusioned by the medicine, not by the mm -hmm. medicine. Like I just become disillusioned about the possibility every single time usually on schedule. Like I'm, a, I'm going down to work and I'm like, eh, yeah, like 
I, all that's left is I intellectually know. And as time goes on, this is this is taking longer. It, it shifts more and more, and I have more facility with it. To your point, but the first part of that answer is like, yes, very challenging. I, I often fall into my mind picking apart to say like, yeah, nothing really happened. And then the the part about like just integrating what I get, I will say, I think given I've been in deep ontological transformational work for like almost fifteen years now, I've got a lot of I got a lot under my belt and I find when people have really been doing a lot of ontological work, they, they take to the medicine a little more easily because they're familiar with like the starkness of looking at our blind spots and then having to sit with it. And you kind of start to know like, Oh, I want to tell this person to fuck right off. That is a clear sign that like there's something here. You just get a bit better at catching that. And so I don't find like, the integrative process coming back from going and working with the medicine that much, I don't find that like destroying me or leaving me exhausted. Yeah. It still work every time, but usually like after the second week or so, I'm kind of like, all right, I got my feet back up from under me. I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to kick it off. Absolutely. There's something there that you shared that I want to kind of touch on mm. uh, this piece around. I want to tell that person over there to fuck off. And that clearly outlines that I have some work to do. I think that concept in itself for someone that's unfamiliar with, you know, even the idea of ontological work or any kind of taking on any kind of work. Yeah. Why, why is that hold true that if I'm telling someone to fuck off over there, that means I have some work to do and they're not just an asshole or whatever. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just trying to like really sit with your question almost like for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I can answer it from that place. Um, totally. So it's interesting because where I'm getting caught is often like when people are like, no, Adam, not everyone. Like some people are just jerks as I'll be like, yeah, children don't come out of the womb like jerks. I mean, we could find if we really wanted to find exceptions, we could. But then the truth there is that probably that womb was pretty hostile. You know, they were probably raised by a mother who was caught in a very abusive situation, you know, whatever. And and but children do come out of the womb with like an energy that sometimes like, fuck off. You're in the way of my milk. Get lost. I'm angry. Um, what, what that energy usually is pointing us towards though, is like anytime I am mad at someone and like, am holding, like pointing the finger at them. I'm, I'm convinced that the issue is over there with them. What that means is that there's a, there's like a, a blind spot for me because I'm so convinced that they're the problem. There's like a, resistance slash inability for me to look over on the side. And if you go to someone like that and say, Hey, yeah, yeah, that person probably did something dumb and wrong, but are you willing to look on your side? Usually it's going to be like, no, that person's the fucking dick. Like they're the problem. And so that alone tells us that there's some work for us to do because that's a situation where there's a closure. There's an aspect of life I'm unwilling or unable to look at, to just be with. I'm, I'm not able to sort of, I don't have the freedom to be able to like, well, yeah, yeah, let's take a look over here too. I'm, I've, be, I've narrowed. I've become linearly focused on them. And so anytime that shows up for us as humans, that's, that's a bit of a, uh, like a road, um, not a roadmap, a milestone saying like, hey, just heads up. Here's a place where you're not fully free in this moment. There's something you can't or are unwilling to look at. What would, what would a person's like first kind of step to untangling that or, or first step towards freedom. Like if you're coaching someone and you're like, you know, my, this guy in my life acts as such a 
fucking asshole. I hate being around him. He's always reaching out to me. He wants to hang out or something like that, but I just, I can't stand him. Yeah. And you're like, well, what do you, what do you need to look at? And then, and what, where do you direct them from a place like that? For people listening, everybody can probably think or watching this of someone that just, they find so irritating or just that they don't want to be around. And and maybe they also feel simultaneously, like what is up with my judgment? Like, why am I so irritated by this person? And what Uh do I do about that? I'm so glad you put in that, that second part, like what is up with my judgment? What is up with my anger? Cause the very first thing I'd say is not going to be a big surprise to you, which is hold the anger sacred. And so what we typically, what we are trained in societally, again, innocently is your judgment's wrong and your anger is wrong. Hey y'all. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Adam. As I mentioned in the intro, Adam is one of the most profound leaders and coaches I have ever known. And I've been fortunate enough to train with him for a number of years. You know, when I started getting one-on-one support from a coach, that's really when everything in my life changed. I realized I had wasted years trying to figure things out on my own, trying to make shifts in my relationships, trying to make more money, trying to let go of habits that didn't serve me anymore and actually start committing and completing the goals that I had set. The truth is there are things in our life we simply cannot see and no amount of books or podcasts or course will illuminate them. We need ongoing support from someone who learns about all of our intricacies the ways we lie to ourselves and the patterns we get stuck in. Someone who can clearly identify what is holding us back. Someone who gives us honest reflections, who isn't afraid to challenge us and to say the thing that needs to be said. You see, the freedom, success, and love that we yearn for is typically on the other side of just one or two patterns that we've been playing out since childhood. If you're ready to finally let go of your old ways of being and step into a life that you're really excited about, go ahead and reach out to me. I have a few spots for one-on-one clients opening up. Now, I want you to know this is a serious commitment. It's a minimum of six months, and it's a large financial and energetic investment. But if you're someone who's truly committed to living an extraordinary life, it's going to be the best money you've ever spent. I can guarantee that. So if you feel ready to transform your life and start living on your own terms, go ahead and head over to evanmeyer.co forward slash coaching. There you can find more about my one-on-one coaching container and apply. All right, now back to our conversation with Adam Quiney. What we are trained in societally, again, innocently, is your judgment's wrong and your anger is wrong. And we learn that from the world around us, from witnessing, from the stories people tell us, from how we see other people relate to anger and all that stuff. And so then where we get caught is fuck this guy, but also fuck me for fuck this guy. Like mm-hmm. I'm mad at that person, but I shouldn't be. I should turn the other cheek because Adam and Evan were talking about that or because I read it in a book or because of the power of now or whatever. And so before we can let go of something, we have to let ourselves hold it. And so usually the first step for someone, if I'm working with them, is really just like, great, tell me, like share the anger, like tell me about it. And they'll sort of go a little bit and they'll be like, I know I should be, but that's the moment. That's the moment right there where they're dismissing their anger. And so it's a practice. We have to start by practicing like, okay, I'm going to give myself permission to be angry. For everyone listening, that doesn't mean you go and spew hot lava into the face of the person you're angry with. It means you let yourself internally just fully feel and express this. And, and once we can do that, then we're willing to let it go. We're, we're a little more able to release it. And that's the point where we can start to look at like questions like, um, what is this triggering in myself? What, what, like, if I let this person off the hook, then what do I have to look at over here? And what is the story about myself? And usually the stories are things like, well, they cut me off in traffic. Great, what's the story about yourself? 
Well, that like other people think they're better than me. These people don't even have any consideration. Great. What kind of people don't get any consideration? Oh, people that are like garbage or worthless. I'm kind of moving through this quickly. Of course. Ultimately, right, that's the button getting poked. And then all of this other stuff's layered on top of it. And so it starts by, again, holding that anger sacred, just letting ourselves have permission to be there. And then we can start to unpack it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's so common, myself included, same. Until, honestly, the last, the last, especially, I like. Are you speaking to me personally? Because you know, I get angry in traffic. Because that's 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 one of my things. It's like, yeah, fuck you, buddy. Uh-huh. <laughs> follow the damn rules. They're very yeah. clear here. Yeah. yeah, unless I'm doing it, I don't have to follow the rules. But like everybody else yes. has to has to drive exactly how I want them to drive, yes. which is fast and out of my way, and never hanging in the left lane. And Ideally, I drive on the sidewalk. Leave. Yeah, the just get just actually just get off the road. I am the only one that commands this area. Um, no, but really, just having to having to be with that, and not only that, but noticing the impact that in that particular situation for me, I'll just bring this up. Mm. The, the impact that it has on the people around me, like if my wife, if Jen's with me in the car, like yeah. I don't care if I'm angry and righteous and I'm driving alone, but if I'm angry and righteous and she's beside me, she's like, why are you so angry and righteous about this? Or right. like, why are you such being such a dick? And then, then that triggers me as well, where I'm like, I'm not being a dick. It's this guy. He's the fucking asshole, you know, and just noticing how, and then, and then it starts that like, then I judge myself for being yes. angry about it. Like, why can't I just be more chill? Okay, now I'm just going to be chill and I'm just going to be the chillest driver. I'm going to drive five miles under the speed limit and I'm always going to hug the right lane. And this is the polarity that I, f- we, I find everybody that I work with, everybody that I know lives in where we have a tendency to want to respond with the almost polar opposite behavior yes. as an antidote to fixing ourselves or, or not having to be with some particular emotion. Totally. Yeah. And, and who we become is chill because I'm angry. We're not actually right. chill. We're some, the being that we end up adopting is like, I'm chilled out over top of I'm furious. And that that's not going to work either. And then we just, yeah, it's, it's the, the nervous system is like vibrating inside yes. and your face is showing. It's almost like a disassociation. You're completely exactly. disconnected from, from who you really are. And I feel like so many of most people are walking around with that. Like, Oh, I'm not a judgmental dude at all. Like that kind of comment, you know, I'm not, I'm pretty non-judgmental. It's like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? Like, Hilarious. how do you feel about people that are judgmental? Oh, well, they're kind of, they're kind of jerks. Okay. All right. We're starting to get somewhere now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, and, and, and certainly the, the work that I've done with you is just taking a look at this stuff. And I, I love the way, like I shared at the beginning of this conversation, holding our emotions as sacred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't and tend that, to have many containers that allow for that. that yeah. That's part of the problem is there's, there's not, it's hard work doing this work, no lie. Right. And so we, we, and, and like you said at the start, we, the coaching profession saturated with people that, it's not, they're not wrong for it, so to speak. They're not malicious, but they're just not trained. They're not very deep in their work. And so you get these people, they're like, share your emotions with one another. I'm here to coach both of you or even a counselor to therapize both of you, but they don't have the skill to really hold and support the healthy expression of those emotions so that they can like move through. And so what ends up happening is, and and, sorry, the reason they don't have that skill is because they haven't gone through it themselves. 
And so what ends up happening is one partner shares their anger, the other partner gets defensive, then that partner responds with their own anger, and then it just escalates things. And then eventually we're like, you know what, why am I doing this? I'm just going to be chill. And then, then we're locked, we're frozen out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that anger is forever relegated to the wrong zone yes, in, that's in right. all and, aspects of life. And the yeah. few places that were let traffic or wherever, like this is where it's okay for my anger to come out. Yeah. And then it, that becomes the one valve. And yeah. Leads to a pretty small life, you know, emotionally for sure. Totally. Yeah. Life starts, this is, they talk about how as people age, they ossify. And I remember reading about like quarter life, midlife, these crises people describe about how there's a graying of our experience. And as that's what's happening is we're shutting down aspects of the abundance of human expression. Okay. Anger's wrong. Okay. Sadness as well. And joy's a bit troublesome because then I look silly. And we shut all that down and then we, we find life is like gray. And we're like, well, I remember it being so colorful. What's happened? What's happened is you've learned to fear these emotional states and thus you shut them off. Yeah, that this some of the words you're using, you know, joy, um, all these, I, I guess I want to I kind of direct into this conversation around essence because mm -hmm. it's such a huge part of the work that you do yeah. and, and, you know, your book, Who Do You Think You Are?, uh, touches a lot, a, a lot on practicing. And, and I, I use that word really intentionally, like practicing these yeah. different ways of being how, so our life can become more expansive as we grow, as we mature, as we hopefully become more wise rather than ossify. Is that the word you used? Yeah. Ossify. Yeah. That's where your bones harden. You become. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. This ossification of, of our beingness. Right. And so maybe just share a little bit about what essence is and because I know it's kind of a cornerstone of the work that you do in the world mm -hmm. and some of the practices that you offer people. I've definitely like the essence conversation is something that I use with all my clients and it's something super revealing. Maybe just share a little bit about what essence is to you and, uh, and how people can work with it. Yeah. So this originally, I was trained in this through a group called accomplishment coaching. That's the training that had made that huge difference that made no sense for me to do. So that's where my lineage began in this. And then since I've, really evolved and worked with this model and built out my own version of it. But the fundamental nature of essence starts with the idea that we as humans come onto this planet as beings of light. We're not, we don't come onto this planet and be like white people suck or like, I hate Republicans or any of that. We just come out. And if you spend any time around toddlers, you'll see this. We come out with just this beautiful, pure expression of love. And then very quickly, well, I want to add a piece here. In my experience, that love is expressed differently by different people. We all have capacity for the infiniteness of human expression, but some people are going to be more naturally, they're going to have more connection. It's just going to be a part of their expression or brilliance is something you and I share or generosity or divinity or wisdom or play or whatever. It doesn't matter. And so humans have these strong suits, which is kind of like the way your hair parts. It's not that you don't have access to all haircuts. It's just you're going to know you're going to want to take into account these things so we've got a guy we'll call reggie who's brilliant and what happens you know it's always reggie i always like that name archie's <laughs> villain <laughs> what happens is that reggie learns from the world around him that part of what's innate for him is not acceptable and so he learns oh in at school if i just naturally express what i express people make fun of me for being a nerd and so he learns around any situation that has the same energetic feel as school, he learns to dim himself. Oh, I'll show up a little less smart. 
and now I don't get made fun of, and now I'm accepted. Okay, great. And that becomes a, like a learning, a lesson about life and how to be. And around other situations, like maybe he brings home an A and his mom goes, yeah, that's great work, but where's the A plus? And in those situations, he might learn, huh, I was just showing up, doing myself what I was meant to do, and it wasn't enough. So in those situations, he learns I'm not enough, and he learns to turn his brilliance way up. He, may, he might study endlessly or whatever. And so his light, which began just as this natural, innate expression of brilliance, gets twisted. And in these situations that look like the original training, he learns to either turn himself down or turn himself way up. And that creates what we could call our survival mechanism. So we do this for all of our qualities, and, and we do this over and over and over again until it becomes automatic and unconscious. And then, the, and then the really fascinating thing is that we take these strategies that we now, let's say we're in our 20s, relate to as just the way I am. Oh, that's just the way I am. I like to be silly around certain people. I hate them for not seeing my brilliance, but I just, that's who I am. We take those strategies and then we find our way into careers that really reward us for them. And so if I, well, I was, I am someone who's brilliant. I did learn that I wasn't smart enough in certain situations. And so I learned to become very arrogant and condescending and to make sure I always had the answer because I was always studying six times more than anyone else. And that made me an exquisite lawyer. I was super, super good. I always had the answer. I could condescend and make you look like an idiot for thinking anything other than what I thought. Super, super good. The trouble is that that career is all based and built upon a bunch of strategies designed to avoid me having to confront what I'm afraid of rather than being built atop a life where I express myself freely and fully. And so that's where we end up in our life. And to sort of close this loop, to put a button on this, all of the work I do, and it sounds like a lot of what you do, is to bring people back to the essence of who they are, to re-presence them to who they've always been, and then to support them to start to create a life from that place. Yeah. And what do you notice? Like, what do you notice that happens with people in terms of the way that they live or the choices they make when they start to get in touch with their essence or who they came into this world as? It's super cool. What, what, at first it's like awful because <laughs> they're, they're dismantling all of the strategies that protected them from their fear. So at first life gets worse because suddenly it's like you take off your armor in the middle of a war. And, and if you're wearing armor, you've probably created war around you to make it make sense that you're wearing armor. So you take that armor off and you're like, this isn't better, it's worse. So that happens at first. Usually there's a period people want to quit. That's an essential part of our process. And then as they stay the course and we continue to support them, they start to surrender into and then trusting just, okay, never mind what's showing up in this moment. Who am I committed to being? How do I want to be? And as they start to live from that place, which really fascinating is that they stop, this is a distinction here, they stop like creating results, they stop making results happen, and instead they become a clearing in which results show up. So for example, I have a client who, when she started working with me, she was working 80 hours a week, like tons and tons, very financially successful, but like exhausted. And a year later, after she's done all this work, Initially, she was like, I got to find the next job. And then she sort of softened into that, started to calm down. Here comes my dog. And, um, and lately, she was like, you know, it's so fascinating, Adam. I'm not forcing anything. I'm not going out seeking. And I've had three job offers come in to me. And it's because as we start to live more from our essence, we become magnetic. And we draw towards us the very things that we're seeking. 
Yeah, I love that. That piece around magnetism is something that I always come back to, too. It seems like the more aligned we get with the core of who we are and, yeah, our essential essence, the more that life just tends to show up for us in yes. so many different ways, monetarily, finan- like financially, relationally. It's just like we become this, yeah, we be, like become this magnet to, to the things that we want. But what it often requires at least in my own experience and what I've witnessed in the people that I've worked with and, and just friends and, and anyone that's really taking on really honest work is it's excruciatingly painful at times. Yes. I don't think there's a way that it can't be painful because it, for me, at least in my experience, it quite, it involves quite literally going to the exact places that I don't want to go. Yes. Right. It has and, to because we built that life to avoid those places. It's exactly yeah, it, it's yeah. so it's so brilliant too how uh, I love this piece around especially what you said like I put my armor on and I create war around my life because that's like that is so brilliant. It's it's not only do I put armor on to protect myself but I actually create an environment where the armor is necessary. Yes. Right? And and it's so easy for me to witness still it's happening to myself all the time but it's so yeah. easy to witness in the world around me just the way that not only individually, but culturally, societally, like we are constantly creating war in our environment in order to justify continuing to armor our hearts and, yeah. and really ossify over our lifetime. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the metaphor I always love is the caterpillar to the butterfly, which is totally overused and blah, blah, blah. But the piece I find fascinating, and this goes to you saying like, it has to be painful is the caterpillar goes into the cocoon and then becomes this gross bag of goo. And while it's in the gross goo bag phase, what's happening is the caterpillar's cells are starting to die. And these new, they're called ideation cells, which are ideating as the butterfly's DNA are starting to grow. And in that period, the caterpillar's still living cells, actively, its its immune system actively attacks and kills the butterfly's cells. And and slowly but surely, the butterfly cells become numerous enough that they can no longer be killed, and then the caterpillar's cells fully die off. But like that is such a, a model for transformation, because even as we know that we're stepping into something greater, there's a part of our old self that is attacking it. And that's why this like support structures, coaching, leadership, ayahuasca are so important, because left to our own devices, we're probably going to kill that part of ourselves that's trying to be born. Yeah. It's like, we have to hit this threshold where it tips the scale in the direction of like, no, this is just, this is just who I am now. But the resistance in that, you know, it's funny. There's a lot of people out there that said like, oh, you know, I can, transformation doesn't have to be hard or like, it doesn't, you you can have it in an instant. Like you could do this one session or this one thing. And then all of a sudden your life can, I don't know, maybe I haven't had that experience. Usually it's pretty grueling and I've, I've done I've done enough of my work to kind of know that even though in the depths of sorrow and pain and just frustration and anger that I, I have a, a hunch that in five, 10 years from now, or hopefully a year from now or sooner, you know, that I'll look back and be like, aha, yeah. Like, of course that had to happen for me to be where I am now, but that doesn't make the process any easier. Even if I have that like uh, foresight into knowing that it's, it's going to be worth it. It never makes the work easier. In fact, I'm finding, I don't know if you resonate with this, but as I become more aware, it almost is more challenging because all the things that I do to self-sabotage, all the ways that I get in my own way, 
you know, making the choices that I know that aren't best for me. A big thing for me, I just turned 34 a few days and, and I'm kind of practicing with this word this year, honor, mm. right? And, 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 and just reflecting and noticing all the ways that I really dishonor myself throughout mm-hmm. the day. Like dishonor my body by ingesting things that I, aren't, I know aren't good for me and aren't giving me the energy I want. They don't make me feel well. You know, not honoring my own time, my, uh-huh. my limited time and, and having to, to be with all that and hold it without beating the shit out of myself for it, which is like another direction to go. Yeah. Right. And, and there was a time in my life where I, I could hit the bong and play video games all night and eat McDonald's. And it was totally cool. I was like, yeah. awesome. Great. I'm yeah. going to wake up tomorrow and do the same thing after work. And that was like, that was empowered. I, yeah. I was empowered in that to some degree, but really what I, I, you know, I was just not conscious of what was available otherwise. Yeah. But as I've become more aware, I, it's like more painful. It's, yeah. and, 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 and the, the gradient is so much higher to, to operate on. And it's so easy to slip into that place. And I see it with people that I work with all the time. They're like, ah, oh, these aspirations that they have. And then they don't meet those aspirations and they are growing and they are expanding and they are becoming more aware and they are really taking their work on. But on the flip side of that, there's the, the shadow seems to grow as well of all the ways that they can make themselves wrong, punish yes. themselves, beat themselves up. I know that's something you've been talking about recently for sure. And you're writing with, you know, food and your relationship with, yeah. I think gaming and stuff like that. Will you riff on that a little bit? Yeah. But before we go there, there's something I want to share. Sure. One, I do find it's, it's more challenging because my ego learns as I do and, and it be, the stuff becomes more sophisticated. It's more nuanced and finer tuned and harder to catch. You're no longer catching a, a, a note played on a piano. That's like, it's not a C it's a G. Now you're catching like a C that's just a tiny bit off. And so it becomes harder to see unless right. people are going to catch it. Um, the thing I wanted to share was I was sitting in ceremony one night and I was in my process and I, I was like moving around a bunch. I was having a hard time finding stillness and, and ayahuasca works often best with stillness because it allows us to sit and then let whatever's there. It makes it easier to be with what's showing up for us. And so I went to my friend who was working and I sat in front of him and I was like, Hey, um, you know, could you support me? And he's like, sure. What's going on? And, um, and I was saying, you know, like I'm, I'm, I can feel the medicine. I'm present to her. And, and like, I don't totally know what's here, but I can just feel I'm kind of like resistant to it. And he was like, okay, got it. Can you elaborate more? And I sort of shared like a little bit more about what I was present to. And he was like, okay. So it sounds to me like you're not actually resistant. And I was like, uh, well, I feel feel like I'm having a hard time being with something here. And he was like, yeah, well, the thing is, as you deepen in this work, this story about being resistant, like it actually sounds like you're in a process and it's just got some discomfort coming with it. It doesn't sound like you're pushing it away or you're unwilling to feel it. It just sounds like there's some discomfort. But as we get deeper into this work, we start to use this word resistance. Like it's kind of like a subtle way we can still be masochistic towards ourselves. And as long as you have this belief you're being resistant, then you're going to be doing all this work to try to pull down your resistance. And if there isn't any resistance there in the first place, that's just a wasted effort. You're just going to be bashing against this wall you've created. And so that was one of those examples where I was like, damn, the subtleties of this work, you know, like it's, it's just uncomfortable. 
it's not that I have to stop being resistant. I've been in this long enough. I'm just having a hard time being with this, just kind of uncomfortable. And so that's like so, so subtle. And of course, once he said that, I could see it. Then I'm like, oh God, I just got to be willing to sit in my discomfort. But that's an example of how it's tough. Um, want me to riff on food and stuff? Well, let's just talk a little bit about like, how would someone, because I think this will resonate with a lot of people listening to this, this idea that we all, as we grow, we, we set lofty aspirations for ourselves. Like, okay, I'm making this declaration. Now I'm not, I did it the other day. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm 34 this year. I'm doing all this stuff and I'm not doing this stuff and I'm giving up alcohol and I'm, and I've done that stuff before and I've been successful in it, but it also, and and it's all to a good end, but it can also feel incredibly constricting or uh like uh like i'm walking a razor's edge or there's just a lot of room to punish myself in that yes especially yeah especially like you said as 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 we become more nuanced in all these little pieces there's more to pick apart as well so like how do we work with that because it can be incredibly it could actually take us in the opposite direction of, of where we really wanted to go. We were doing this to hope, hopefully feel better about ourselves and to, to become a more whole human being and to be more connected with ourselves and spirit. And for me, like, yeah, it sounds really good on paper to want to honor myself, but yeah. how am I honoring myself when I'm talking to myself? Like I'm a fucking asshole. Cause I'm not honoring myself. Right. Right. That's hilarious. Isn't it? Well, this is what I love about having a coach is that I don't have to try to like, you know, be three steps out in front of myself. I can just take on a genuine practice like I'm going to honor myself and then I bring it to my coach and and I share here's how things are going right now like I'm I'm set out to honor myself but I got drunk last night and today I ate like three cheeseburgers and like and I just feel like a fucking idiot and then she can help me see like yeah yeah first she gets me and really understands and then she's like it really sounds like you're having a hard time honoring the part of you that that just is human and that isn't a rigid robot that just follows rules. And then once I see that, then I can start to like soften at that point. Whereas when I don't have any kind of support, no coach, no teachers, no, no ayahuasca, no whatever, I'm left to try to do that all myself. And that's in my experience, almost an impossible job, you know, because to see is to have a blind spot inherently. And a lot of, a lot of what, people are trying to do is like, okay, got it. That makes total sense. But just so I know, how do I see my blind spot? And it's like, no, 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 you didn't quite hear what I said. Like you, you simply can't. And so to answer your question, I think getting some kind of support under us, it makes all the difference in the world. And it doesn't matter if it's not the best coach or the best leader or whatever. It's just even the act of engaging with anyone like that will start to make a difference. Yeah. Beautiful. I think that's, I I know for you, are you still hold the belief that you will be supported in some capacity for the rest of your life? Like at any given time? Yeah. Yeah. It's so rich for me. It gives me so much. I mean, never say never, right. There may be a a point, but like at least from where I currently sit, I'm just like, Oh, it makes everything so much easier in my life. Amazing. Well, I want to honor our time, but there's a few more questions I want to ask you in these last few minutes. A couple things that I, I just riffed off of your some of your writings, which anybody listening to this or watching this, I just highly, highly recommend go and give Adam a, a follow on writing on Facebook is mostly where you're kind of publishing a lot of your writing or where's it goes everywhere. Yeah. It goes everywhere. LinkedIn, Facebook, Facebook. He, he's yeah. all over, but he just, yeah. 
yeah, just beautiful writing. Also, Facebook Friday Lives. Are you still doing the Friday Lives? Yep. Yeah, Every those are incredible. On Friday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, there was a period of time where I was watching those consistently, I think for a few years, you know what I mean? And my schedule yeah. has just shifted and I'm in Eastern time now, so it's a little harder to make. But just so, uh, so incredible to, to just jam with you live and your ability to just generate on the spot in conversation with people is profound. Um, and so some of these, some of these questions, uh, kind of are generated from some of your writing. And the one that I want to focus on here is this piece around living life. And we kind of touched it on before, but living life as a function of what you don't want. Mm. So, so that you just want me to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So there's like this, you know, I really noticed that, especially I found it in relationship or, or, or in friendships or in work. It's like, I get so focused on everything that I don't like about them or the situation or this thing. And that actually is where I generate most of the change in my life. Like, it's like, I have to get so fucking fed up with something that finally I'm going to change it. And that, that has some value to it, but I'm still always living influence and at the effect of trying to avoid all the things that I don't like in my right. life in order to be at peace or, or whatever it is. So I'm curious, like how does someone work with something or, or distinguish that? Maybe you could just riff on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's use a, a version where we start with essence. So like imagine Reggie again, who's got that brilliance and then they learned to be afraid of the idea that they might be dumb. I don't like, well, no, let's use Adam because that's his story too. So I, learned because who I am is brilliance. I learned to be afraid of the thought that I might be stupid, which would make sense because stupidity in some way we could think of it, it would be like the negation of brilliance. Just like if someone is love, the thing they would hate the most would be the idea that they're cruel or cold or uncaring, uh, unca- uncaring or callous. I mix those words together. Or someone who's generous would t- be terrified of being selfish. And so from that fear of being stupid, I went into my life and figured out how do I make sure I never occur stupid? So I read all the time. I studied all the time. I made sure I was really good at arguing all of that stuff. And then that became my way of living. Like there was no fun conversation. As soon as there was any hint of like me possibly feeling even a tiny little bit stupid, that guy came online and then the argument began and then you were going to get facts and you were going to get all your logical inconsistencies pointed out. It'd be a great time for no one. And so that that's kind of the heart of us living. I can't remember the exact wording, but like basically living so as to not get what we don't want. And and down that path, you'll notice none of what I shared is like, oh, how do I have an, ex- an experience of more brilliance in the world or more love or more connection or more of the other things that I am? It all becomes how do I make sure I never feel stupid? And so that's what I find a lot of people are living is lives that are some version of that. How do I make sure I'm not like, well, sorry, I want to put another piece on there, which is let's work with generosity now. So someone who is generosity decides I hate selfishness and I will never be that. And so they go into their life and they're like, how do I not occur selfish? And so they create all of these strategies. I'll make sure I always bring food to the party. I'll make sure blah, 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 blah. What they're doing is not being generous. What they're doing is being not selfish. And not being selfish is different from being generous. And so that, they look similar and we're like, I don't understand why I don't have the experience I want. It's probably because you're on that one side instead of the other. And I imagine the answer to this question would be the same. You'd get supported and even seeing that, you know what I mean? Just having someone to even look at that because 
I think that generosity piece is, is super prevalent in my life. Not me personally. I'm not a particular like super generous. Same. I mean, I can be, but I'm, that's not where I, yeah. I reside. Essence. Yeah. But, uh, but certainly there's people in my life that are so generous, but totally energetically depleting to them and never get yes. what they want from their generosity, which is, is really just like, yeah, that avoidance of, of looking selfish, um, and how confronting it is for them because I am not that way. You know, if other yeah. people start working, I don't have to get off my feet and start working to, just because they are, you know? And so it triggers yeah. the shit out of them. For, yes, totally. for just be that, which is so revealing, right? To see like, oh, you know, where are we really? And it comes back into that piece around magnetism because that feels like, it's like a distortion is how I would put it. It's like a misalignment. If I'm acting from a place of not wanting to be a certain way or not wanting to be certain places. I never have an opportunity to be who I really am because I'm so busy being who I not, I'm not or who yeah. I'm not wanting to be. And, and there's one more part of this that makes it even more sinister and is fascinating, which is if I'm spending all this energy working to not be selfish, first of all, that's an endless task. There's never a point where you're not selfish. You can't prove that. And so I'll do that. And to your point, I become depleted. And eventually, once I've done that enough, I'm going to get the idea in my head. What the fuck? When is it my turn? I'm going to take my turn. And guess who I become in that moment? Selfish. And so the irony is that from all of our energy put towards not being selfish, we actually end up creating ourselves that way. We become the flip side. So you become radically selfish and radically over generous. And neither of those are what we're really striving for. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so insidious and kind of hilarious as well just to hold these things because yeah. um, I see them in myself and I've seen them in myself in the past and even to this day, like just how we bounce back and forth between all these different ways, trying to find our center, but not really ever knowing that because it's a place that we can't even we can't even see. So, yes. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to honor our time and I, I really want to start to watch one stuff. more question. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there was one more piece around that I had written here, the relationship between desire and complaints. Mm. That's just what I had written. And I'm curious, yeah. like what what that is, because it piqued my interest. Yeah. So so most of what we first of all, we're trained out of our desire, because if you have desire and ask for what you want, you're selfish or like, I don't know, we could layer all of these things, but we learned that very early on as children. And so instead of genuinely expressing our desire to people and, and being free of attachment for how it goes, be, because we're so afraid of being selfish, we wait, wait, wait. Eventually, when we do express our desire, we're like, okay, I'm finally expressing my desire. This better be a yes from this person. So it's like weighted either way. What we've learned to do is tend, we tend to complain. This isn't good enough. That's not nice enough. I don't like that. They're not doing enough nice things for me. And... What we can't see, first of all, complaining is, it's anti-magnetic. It's repulsive. When people complain, we don't want to spend time around them. We want to, it's just, a, it's like not nice to be around. So it has the opposite effect of what we really want. And, and the thing that sets people free here is by recognizing their complaint and then asking themselves, what's the desire I have underneath this? And then beginning to step into the practice of giving our desire, making a request from our desire as a gift. So what that means is if I have a complaint like, it's too cold in here, then I might say, hey, would it be all right if we turned the heat up? And then the second part of my job, once I've asked that, is to release how it goes. That's the gift part. 
Just like if I give you socks for Christmas and you don't like them, that's okay. I gave you socks. That was my gift. How you receive it is yours to do. And so when we start to practice that way, we start to get more of what we want. We start to resent people less and we start to get the experience of expressing ourselves more because asking for what you want is an expression of your truth. Beautiful. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I find it so easy to get caught in complaint, you know, like it's, it comes back to that thing, the way that I don't want things. I don't want this room to be yeah. this way. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too humid, whatever it is instead yeah. of, you know, and, and so much, so much conflict could be like uh, conflict is generated from, uh, I found either like just having an opposition, like because of that complaint, like I want it to be different right now or the resentment that builds from not speaking for what I want. Right. And, and, yes. and it's kind of the other end of that piece where it's just, yeah. if I can just name my desires in, in the world, whether it's relationally or, or on a grander level or to spirit, you know, this is what I truly, really want. And then that's that second piece that you just mentioned of like legitimately detaching from however that transpires. And what I've noticed in my own life is that I'll, if I lay a desire out of something I want to create in the world or something I want to do, and I let go of the timeline, which is usually the, the part that really yeah. fucks me up is like, I want it sooner that things that I'm like, Oh man, I really want this thing. And then like seven years later it happens. I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm equally as, as delighted that this thing happened. And, and yeah. the more that that seems to transpire in my life, the more that I can trust that like, okay, like, you know, I'm putting my energy towards this thing but I'm also letting go of how it comes about in my life and what that yes. makes available for me in my life when I'm really practicing this is like the mystery and the awe and the, and the, the beauty of like the total, the way things that, that come about that you could never imagine them coming in that way. Like it's, it's like wow. so beyond what we could think in our linear fashion of how things come to be. There's, a few things that happened this last year that just blew my mind. Like when I first, this was like a decade ago and I'll just wrap up with this and we'll start to, to wind down. But I was working on the oil rigs. It was 2013 and I drove, I spent a lot of time driving an 18 wheeler because I was yeah. on a fracking crew and I drive all, all over Western Canada, British Columbia and Alberta. And I was like, well, I should learn. I have all this time behind the wheel. So I would listen to podcasts endlessly, right? And one of them was the Dave Asprey podcast back in the day, Bulletproof Radio it was called. And it's all about, you know, his whole biohacking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, man, like I would love to go to his conference one day. And like, I really want to start a podcast. Like, and you know what? Like, I really want to start a podcast. Oh, yeah. I was listening to a few others. And then so this whole, you know, and I kind of just set it, set it aside and, and really wanted this. And then started recording the podcast last summer or this past summer in Austin. That's where I recorded the first three episodes. I ended up at a July 4th barbecue and who serves me a lamb chop, but fucking Dave Asprey. Right? <laughs> so he's like, so it was just like a weird thing. Cause I had just recorded a podcast. I was, I was, I was meeting up with all these guests and he was like one of the first people that I really listened to in, 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 in the podcasting world. And I ended up just like connecting with him. And like, it was just like a really nonchalant, like very unimportant event. He wasn't on my podcast, nothing like that, but just, it's so funny how, you know, a decade later, how things can transpire, because honestly, as a 23 year old kid working on the rigs, I didn't know that I would be, you know, hanging out with, with whoever, you know, these people that I had at one point looked up to, you know, and, 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 uh, and so it's just, it's, I have so many other stories like that and that's such a tiny one, but just how I can set 
or we can just set something like, okay, this would be really cool to create this one day. And then life starts to support us in that way. And the trust yes. that that involves kind of what you're speaking to at the beginning of this conversation, uh, just really like letting go and trusting that the, our magnetism is enough and we're enough to attract the life that we Indeed. want. Yeah. Yeah. I love Beautiful. that story. So cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, I really want to thank you just for, for hanging out with us. And of course, I just want to let people know if they want to connect with you, like the kind of work that you do, I know we never really touched on the forge, but maybe just give a few minutes where people connect with you, kind of what you're up to in the world, what you're creating. And, uh, you know, if, if they really enjoyed what, uh, what you shared today, which I imagine they did, how they can get more of it. Yeah. So uh, what I'm up to in the world, three things, I work one-on-one -on -one with people that are like just committed to transformation in their lives. Two, we, my wife and I run a program called the forge, which you've done a couple times, which is devoted to supporting people to become, transformational in their own lives and the way they support other people. That's a year long program. Yeah. It's absolutely fa fantastic. I'm yeah. just going to interrupt you right there and just say that yeah. anybody that's, you know, really wants to develop their leadership or learn how to, how to coach, how to lead, how to, how to be with people in a really profound, deep and powerful way. Like it absolutely transformed my life. That's why Thanks. I did it twice. And, and I, it's not going to be the last time I did it either. I'm definitely going to come back. So <laughs> Thanks for that plug. Yeah. Uh, and then the third thing is supporting being a bridge for people that want to come and, and do work with plant medicine. And the best place for people to follow me, my website is good, adamquiney.com, Facebook, LinkedIn, any of those social platforms, I put all my work on there. And, and then, of course, finally, my podcast called The Transformational Leader and my book uh, called Who Do You Think You Are are both great things to check out, too. Beautiful, Adam. Thank you so much again for, for joining me on the podcast today. And uh, yeah, man, it's just been such a pleasure chatting with you. It's an honor, Evan. I love you, man. It's a treat to be here with you. I love you too, brother. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Adam. I highly encourage you go check out everything he's created in the world, including his book, Who Do You Think You Are? And of course, his world-class leadership development program, The Forge, which I spent two years in personally, absolutely changed my life. It really birthed my coaching practice, my leadership practice, and Everything that I create in the world today has been informed by Adam's work and that experience. And hey, if you've been listening to this episode, I just want to let you know that you can also watch every single one of these episodes on YouTube. Sometimes it's nice just to have the visual. A lot of these are recorded in person in really cool locations. And I'm really excited for our next episode coming out with Josh Tyler, which I recorded at his property down in Virginia. We had this epic workout as well. So if you're not subscribed to me on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast there as well at I am Evan Meyer. All right. Thanks again for listening to the Undomesticate podcast and I'll see you next time. Stay sovereign.